Let us pray. O Lord Jesus, John the Baptist proclaimed the coming of your kingdom. Thank you for the assured blessings of this kingdom. We confess our deafness to your gospel and the offense we take. Strengthen our faith in your insurmountable work and the glory of your resurrection through the cross. In your name, amen. Dear fellow redeemed, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The gospel is a polarizing event. The coming of the gospel into the world is the equivalent of armies marching through the borders, fully armed, or of nuclear weapons preparing for launch. This world is under the, under the thumb of its ruler, the ruler of the domain of the air, the spirit now at work in the people who disobey, the god of this age, Satan. The gospel erupts against his kingdom, and he responds in kind. As Jesus said, whoever is not against us is for us, and whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. There are two sides in this war, the side of the gospel and the side that opposes it. So Jesus says, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. Hear the gospel. Jesus describes a change that came with John the Baptist. A new age has begun with his preaching of repent because the kingdom of heaven is near. That message was taken up by Jesus, too, after his temptation in the wilderness. From that time, Jesus began to preach repent because the kingdom of heaven is near. The prophet who prepared Jesus' way and Jesus himself direct men to observe the kingdom of heaven. The old is passing away and the new is now entering in. And this new is the culmination and the fulfillment of all that prepared men's hearts for it. Jesus described St. John the Baptist, Amen, I tell you, among those born of women there has not appeared anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. All that came before was only a preparation for the end times. And we are in the last days now. The day of the Lord is near. John ended the old and he ushered in the new. He had one foot in the Old Testament and one foot in the New Testament. Because he prepared for the gospel, the kingdom of heaven, those who belong to the kingdom of heaven are now greater in Jesus' words. They have the completed gift. But it doesn't necessarily look like anything special. When the kingdom of heaven marches, one might expect powerful signs and wonders. Might, one might even expect a war like that depicted in heaven. There was also a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon. The dragon fought back along with his angels, but he was not strong enough. There was no longer a place for them in heaven. The great dragon was thrown down. The ancient serpent, the one called the devil and Satan, the one who leads the whole inhabited earth astray, he was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. But instead of such a glorious war like that on earth, we instead see simple men preaching a plain and simple word, repentance and forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. And there is that man, Jesus Christ, and him crucified. 
We can say when we observe the kingdom of heaven that God has come to reign in a way that will not look right to normal human perception. The voice crying in the wilderness was prophesied to say, In the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. In the wasteland, make a level highway for our God. Every valley will be raised up, and every mountain and hill will be made low. The rugged ground will become level, and the rough places will become a plain. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all flesh together will see it. The landscape of the world would change. The glory of the Lord would be visible and obvious. But when the kingdom came, it came in a preacher, in a miracle worker. He was opposed by the majority. He eventually would be killed, and his followers would gather around the repetition of his word, around water, around a meal of bread and wine. The magnificent power of God's glory was not apparently obvious to everyone. But when John sent his disciples to ask Jesus whether he was in fact the Messiah, Jesus gave this answer, Go, report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the gospel is preached to the poor. Blessed is the one who does not take offense at me. These are all in fulfillment of prophecy. All the miracles Jesus did fulfilled prophecy about him. The word of God endures forever. This year marks the 500th anniversary of Luther's German translation of the New Testament. It's called the September Testament because it was published in September of 1522. German Bibles did exist before Luther's time, but they were translated from the Latin Vulgate, making them a translation of a translation. Luther translated directly from the Greek for the New Testament and directly from the Hebrew for the Old Testament. People were used to hearing preaching in their own language in church, even though the rest of the service and the reading of the Bible was in Latin, but Luther's German translation of the Bible brought the gospel in people's own language into their daily worship. Common folk were not, on average, literate enough to read even the Bible in German, and books were too expensive to print for each family to own one. But the aim was for this common language Bible to be as accessible as possible. In the Middle Ages, the clergy of the church were concerned that the laity, the common people, would resort to subjective interpretations if allowed to read the Bible on their own, and therefore interpretation was restricted to the church workers, especially to the Pope. But Luther knew that the Bible was clear and relevant to people's understanding. He never supported a subjective interpretation, a what-does-this-mean-to-me interpretation, but he instead provided aids and introductions and commentary besides the common language translation itself so that people could learn the answer to the question instead, what does this mean? Part of his guidance for the people in their own reading and devotion was his threefold method of reading the Bible inspired by Psalm 119. First is oratio, or prayer, asking the Holy Spirit to guide the mind and the heart in devotion. Teach me your statutes. Make me understand the meaning of your precepts. Second is meditatio, or meditation, continually understanding the words and considering the words in your mind. I will meditate on your precepts, and I will consider your paths. And third and last is tentatio, or wrestling, 
struggling, living the word of God. One first understands about God's word that it is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. It must be lived. It must be walked. And you can then learn, it was good for me that I was afflicted so that I might learn your statutes. Suffering violence is recognized as part of life in this kingdom. Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus said, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been advancing forcefully, and forceful people are seizing it. But it might be better to translate it, the kingdom of heaven has been suffering violence. The question is, is the kingdom doing the violence or is it receiving the violence? Either one can be interpreted correctly, that the kingdom is violently striving and defeating the kingdom of Satan when it draws people into life. Or that the kingdom is being persecuted by enemies while it works. The Greek word is biadzitai. Biadzitai can be used either way. But the connotation of the word, which means to use force and violence, is almost always negative. In English, we might do something similar when we describe something as strong. There are a lot of synonyms for strong, and that word itself is pretty neutral. But if I were to say athletic... Well, that sounds more positive, whereas to say brutish is more negative. Biadzitai carries the negative connotation. Consider John the Baptist's position at this time. He was in prison. When he sent his disciples to ask Jesus whether the kingdom were actually coming or not, he was struggling with the violence that the kingdom had been suffering. Violent action was taken against him and his disciples so that he was arrested by Herod and would soon be beheaded. Violent action had been taken against Jesus too as people had tried to kill him several times. And the demons were coming out in force and not long after Jesus himself would be betrayed, arrested, and killed while his disciples would scatter. Then after his resurrection, the kingdom would continue to suffer violence. Christians would be persecuted, despised, arrested, and killed. This violence on the surface would seem to mark the defeat and downfall of the kingdom, and yet, miraculously, wonderfully, God will use the plotting of violent men, although they know it not, to accomplish his salvation. It would not be through the use of violence that Jesus would save the world, It would be through his suffering of violence, through his own crucifixion, letting the kingdom of Satan think he had won, using all the violence at his disposal. Resistance and violence against the gospel kingdom would come in a few ways. The law would be emphasized by the Pharisees and their ilk, as though they could keep it in order to claim the kingdom for themselves, while also judging others for their lack of Pharisaical righteousness. In fact, they emphasized laws that were not truly God's laws, but as Jesus rebuked them, you abandon God's commandment to hold on to human tradition, like the washing of pitchers and cups, and you do many other such things. Woe to you, experts in the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the kingdom of heaven right in front of people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor do you permit those who are trying to enter to do so. These hypocrites were wrong in their attempt to seize the kingdom for themselves according to the strict laws of their own devising. 
But a different sort of violence and resistance came in the form of Herod, who sought to have his flaws and errors and sins merely overlooked. We can call this a sort of cheap grace that reasons that because Jesus paid for all sins, any sin can be committed and no one can cast judgment on it. Jesus said, but woe to you who are rich because you are receiving your comfort now. It's not only restricted to the materially rich, though. Those who look for their comfort now may be sacrificing their eternal comfort. If disobeying God's commandment now gives you a a degree of mental health and peace and comfort, it's a deception. And your conscience is being seared. These secure sinners are wrong in their attempt to seize the kingdom for themselves because of a concept of cheap grace. Instead, what Jesus says is, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. Stop trying to make the gospel or the kingdom into what you want it to be, he's saying, and be silent instead and hear. The kingdom of heaven is always what God said it would be. In fact, all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. If you are willing to receive it, he is the Elijah who was to come. The prophet Malachi had foretold, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. And those are, in fact, the last words of the Old Testament. The word of God had closed on this anticipation of Elijah who would prepare the way for the day of the Lord, the coming of the kingdom. As the actual Elijah had warned the king and the nation to repent of their false worship, so John called the people to repent because the kingdom of heaven was near. His message was an act of mercy on God's account, because if he had remained silent, men would have remained in their sins. But God's word called people out. Those who had ears to hear were raised from the muck of sin and given the forgiveness of sins in Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. The one who believes in him is not condemned, but the one who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is the basis for the judgment. The light has come into the world, yet people loved the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. In fact, everyone who practices wicked things hates the light and does not come toward the light or else his deeds would be exposed. But the one who does what is true comes toward the light, in order that his deeds may be seen as having been done in connection with God. The bottom line is this. There are those faithful to the kingdom, and there are the enemies of the kingdom. The enemies will fight and persecute the kingdom until the end with violence that are physical, or abuse, or outright rejection and indifference. But the blessed hope and truth that we possess is that the faithful will stand. The gospel sounds freely throughout the world. The gospel that Jesus paid for every single person's sin. 
and through the faith that he has given to you by that very gospel, by the Holy Spirit, in word and sacrament, you receive that forgiveness. And with it, you receive eternal life and salvation. It is sounding out to you even now because God is reaching out to give you his gifts. Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, forevermore. Amen.